are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio M. M is a father of four, local entrepreneur, and formerly a singer in a really cool band in Tucson and Seattle. We'll be right back with M, but first let's talk about insomnia. So the other night I went to sleep at 11 and woke up at midnight and was up for six and a half hours, went back to sleep for a couple hours and went to work. This would be horrible, except this happens all the time. A lot of times I'm just up for an hour or two hours or three hours. Ever since I hit my 40s, I cannot sleep through the night. I did read one article that talked about people used to sleep four-hour chunks, and they'd be up in the middle of the night, like in the middle ages. They'd be asleep for four hours, they'd be up in the middle of the night, and then they'd sleep another four hours. So maybe eight hours doesn't have to be straight through. But two or three hours is not enough. So I looked up an article on WebMD about insomnia and depression and just the relationship. The name of the article is Sleep and Depression. If you've been diagnosed with clinical depression, you may be having trouble getting back to sleep or staying asleep. There's a reason for that. There's a definite link between lack of sleep and depression. In fact, one of the common signs of depression is insomnia or the inability to to fall asleep and stay asleep. That is not to say that insomnia or other sleep problems are caused only by depression. Insomnia is the most common sleep disorder in the U.S., affecting nearly one out of every three adults at some point in their life. Women suffer from insomnia more than men, and as people get older, insomnia becomes more prevalent. Yeah. Hmm. Most experts agree that adults need seven to nine hours of sleep a night, but even without depression, according to the National Sleep Foundation, the average American only gets about 6.9 hours. When you add depression to the mix, the problems with sleep are compounded. What's the link between sleep disorders and depression? The inability to sleep is one of the key signs of clinical depression. Another sign of clinical depression is sleeping too much or oversleeping. Having a sleep disorder does not in itself cause depression, but lack of sleep does play a role. Lack of sleep caused by another medical illness or by personal problems can make depression worse. An inability to sleep that lasts over a long period of time is also an important clue that somebody may be depressed. Why is sleep so important? Normal sleep is a restorative state. However, when sleep is disrupted or inadequate, it can lead to increased tension, vigilance, and irritability. Uh, Last week I talked about anger, so yes, irritability is a problem. Physical or emotional trauma and metabolic or other medical problems can trigger sleep disturbances. Poor sleep can lead to fatigue. With fatigue, you you exercise less, and that leads to a decline in your fitness level. Eventually, you find yourself in a vicious cycle of inactivity and disturbed sleep, which causes both physical and mood-related symptoms. So I completely relate to this entire article. I am in my 40s. I am not sleeping well. I do not feel like exercising. I do not feel like doing much. If you get three hours of sleep, you just don't feel right, and that's how it goes. And ultimately, I've tried to just relax about sleeping, if that makes sense, to just not worry too much about it and sleep when I can and when I'm tired to make sure that there's space in my life to take a nap. I decided it doesn't matter when I sleep. If I can sleep, I sleep. If I'm a woman in her 40s taking a nap every day at 5.15, whatever. 
if I can get a little more sleep in the day, I think that's more important than most anything. Because if you're sleep deprived and you're irritable and you're exhausted, you're not going to do it well at anything else in your life. It is absolutely essential. And I'm struggling with some irritability, anger issues right now anyway, and add on top of that, not sleeping well, which might also be related to the anger and (laughs) those issues. It's all wrapped up together. And at the same time, I'm weirdly in a better space with depression right now than I have been in a while because I'm making a bunch of changes in my life. But that causes some stress that I think is adding to like the sleep issues. But overall, weirdly, I feel like my depression's doing pretty good. So hopefully I can get some good sleep and get back on track with that. I am exercising finally after four years of not doing it as I intended to. I committed with a friend of mine to go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday after work. We both work near the gym at the same gym at a similar time. There's no reason. And I am just going whether or not she makes it. So that part's good, and maybe that'll help me get some sleep. So on that note, I wanted to end with a quote from Rumi. Put your thoughts to sleep. Do not let them cast a shadow over the moon of your heart. Let go of thinking. So I hope you all have a great week. Today we have with us in the studio, M. M is a father of four, local entrepreneur, and formerly a singer in a really cool band in Tucson and Seattle. Hello, M. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hey, Laura. How you doing? Good. What's going on in your life? What's what's new with you? Well, lots of things. I, too, suffer from insomnia really bad. I see the correlation between depression and insomnia like you do, as well as insomnia and depression along with other illnesses and other issues. Yeah, my little brother's got leukemia. Oh. And it's because of the meds we were taking for our Crohn's. And I was taking the same ones, and I stopped. I got so upset, I stopped taking all my medications. And then I just got really sick. Yeah. So I had to start taking it back. But we were taking a biologic, an injectable, and and this one pill called 6MP. And and you read it, and it says that there's this 1% to 3% chance of cancer, nodules, lymph nodes, or leukemia... If you take the 6MP and you read through the current stuff, not the stuff that I read, say, five years ago, but the current stuff says if you take Humira, do not take 6MP. Didn't used to say that, but Mm -hmm. it says it now. And my brother was taking Humira for a long time, and it was helping him. He He has Crohn's worse than I do. And he was taking the 6MP and it caused him to have leukemia. Oh because gosh. leukemia does not run in our family at all. And I was taking one called Simzia. And I was actually getting results from taking it. I was like starting to feel better. And I and I had gotten used to giving myself injections. I hate needles. Even though I'm completely tattooed, I hate needles. He's sick. And uh, me and my older brother were both perfect matches to be donors. My older brother went because he didn't have Crohn's, and my little brother's blood type was O. My older brother's blood type was A, and now my little brother's blood type is A. So it's working. It's slow. He's in a lot of pain. He's really uncomfortable, and he's sick, but he might make it, but he's got, like, the worst kind. 
Mm. He's got almost like the, the absolute worst kind of leukemia. But he goes to Yale Medical. The doctors there are the doctors who invented Humira. So he's got really, really great medical care. So it's hopeful. Yeah. I know there's a lot on your plate right yeah, now. Yeah, my girlfriend's got breast cancer and uterine cancer. And the breast cancer was diagnosed six months ago, and they gave her six months to 12 months to live. It's stage four. And I don't know if the uterine cancer is actually breast cancer that has metastasized. Nobody's told me. It's just that she's got to have a full hysterectomy because she's in so much pain. Yeah. So um, tell us the story of your depression. My depression was really bad over the holidays, and I didn't know why. And it took about five or six days for me to figure out that it was actually chemical, that my doctors were reducing a medication that I was taking. And I was sitting there between Christmas and New Year's wondering why life sucked and everything was bad and it was dark and... And then I realized finally through my thinking process that, oh, this is chemical. And I called them and told them how I was feeling and what was going on. And they got back to me and they said, oh, okay. Uh, they were paying attention to me. So they stopped decreasing the medication and put me back to where I was. And I feel better. You know, and it's like one of the first times that the professionals listened to me instead of like their own agenda. And I feel better as a result. So, you know, it's up to me to fight for myself if I want to get better. I know me best, but it's really difficult when that black cloud is hanging over. But with the right medication, that black cloud for me turns gray. Gray, I can do the work. Gray, I can feel the feelings and do the work and try to move past. My depression started when I was a child. I have been depressed not off and on my whole life. I've been depressed my whole life. There's a distinction there of being depressed about situational things, things that I've done or caused or things that have been done or to me. And then there's been this lifelong depression that I can tell you started as a child because I was raised in an abusive, violent home. And the messages that I got at a very early age were not that it was okay to be you and that it was okay to make mistakes. It was more along the lines of, you didn't think, what's wrong with you? And then there were beatings. And I can't really tell you what messages that was sending to me as a really young boy. But looking back now, the joy and spontaneity that you see in most kids, I didn't have. And I don't have it today either. So the joy and spontaneity was basically beaten out of me. So it makes it kind of hard to get through the day sometimes when you walk around wondering, why is everybody happy? Or how do you get to be happy? I've always thought that it was by doing things. If I did things that made me happy, 
then I would be okay. But those things were only fleeting. They were only temporary. And when I was 13, I found drugs. Drugs took the depression away until I came down. And then the depression was there and the depression was worse because when you're on drugs, you do stupid things or you do harmful things or you do embarrassing things or you hurt the people you love. And I did drugs for close to 10 years, all through my teens, up until I was 21. Got off of drugs with the help of my family. It wasn't too long after that, that the depression came back because the drugs was the solution I sought for the depression. And you take away the solution, you're left with the causes and conditions of why you drank and why you did so many drugs. And that was 30 some years ago. And I'm still dealing with the causes and conditions. It's been a long, hard struggle. Back in the mid nineties, I met a woman who would become my wife and we would have four beautiful, beautiful sons. I was in a very, very good place spiritually when I met her. I had done a lot of work, therapy, counseling, uh, even inpatient treatment, not for drugs and alcohol, but for the trauma and abuse that I grew up with. And I was in a fantastic place spiritually. And that's when I met my wife or to be wife. And we were camping with some friends. We were at Reddington back seven, eight miles back in deep into Reddington Pass. And we were attacked by a bunch of drunken cowboys and my girlfriend, wife to be at the time. And I were both shot at. And it was a very traumatic, very scary experience. And it really rocked my foundation. That was in 95. And I really haven't been right since. A little more cautious at night, cautious of big groups. Brought back some of those self-preservation skills that I had carried for so long that I thought I was free of and free to be myself. And, and they came right back. And I've struggled with depression ever since then. And it has impacted all my relationships because when I get depressed, I shut down. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. My thoughts when the cloud is dark, often I think of, of suicide. What I learned in recovery from drugs and alcohol, there's lots of cliches in AA and NA and the self-help programs. But one of them is, is that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I've always held on to that thought because it really is because I, I've never lost the hope that life will get better because I see all these happy people out there and not all of them can be faking it. Not all of them. I think some of them are, but not all of them. So I feel that there's hope for resolving what's going on inside me. And I believe that releasing the trauma, you know, continuing to talk about things, trying different therapies are helpful because this isn't something that I usually talk about with other people. 
people suffer from depression silently and we do suffer. People say, oh, you know, I suffer from depression. No, when you think about it, we suffer. We sit there in silent misery by ourselves and there's nobody that we can really talk to because people think that we're feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, and that we should just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just keep going. Well, you know what? I do keep going. I have every day since the first time I tried to kill myself when I was 13, which I never told anybody about. I just keep going. And when I get to that very, very dark place, which I hate, what keeps me going are those four beautiful boys. And the fact that I could never leave them. I could not leave them with the guilt. I could not leave them with the questions of why did he do that? I could not leave them with the questions of what could I have done to keep him from doing that? Was it my fault? Did I not keep my room clean enough? Did I not get good enough grades? That would be horrible. And I can't imagine how somebody could do that to their kids. And they're really the only reason I'm still here because I'm not having a good time. Everything has been hard, hard work, hard failures, hard rejections. By the way, my wife, she ended up divorcing me. I'm 31 years sober and at about 25 years sober, 24 years sober, she came to me and told me that she had been drinking every day for years. And I was blown away by that. I didn't know that she was drinking like that. I thought she was just a normie. Beer here, beer there, glass of wine here, glass of wine there. That's all I ever saw. I didn't realize that she was struggling. And it took me years to figure out that I played a part in her depression, in her anxiety, and in the pain in her life. When, when you're depressed, your world gets very small. You, you do focus on yourself. It's not a self-pity party, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to survive the day and you're trying to do it without hurting yourself and without hurting somebody else. Because depression for me often comes out in anger at everything, traffic, street people, stupid people. We all know stupid people and we deal with them in public all the time. So I wasn't choosing her every day because I couldn't see her because I couldn't see past my nose. And so she divorced me. It took me a long, long time, years to figure out what my part was in it. And when I was finally able to see where I was at fault, it was a huge relief. I wasn't embarrassed or ashamed or, or anything. I, I was relieved that I could finally see. And with seeing, then I can change that so that I don't take that into future relationships. But the depression I have really no control over. It, it's its own beast and its own monster. I, I can only control how I react to it. I do what my doctors say. I take my medication as prescribed and I should, not should, I shouldn't should on myself, but I can take an example from Laura and attempt to be more active because when I'm in my depression, the last thing I want to do is go to the gym, which I know will make me feel much better. 
The last thing I want to do is go for a hike in our beautiful desert, which is the reason I moved here to begin with 25 years ago is because I fell in love with the desert and rock climbing and hiking. And you just have to find what works for you and know that there are people out there that know what it means when you say that you suffer from depression and know that there are people out there that know what suffer means. Thank you. Thanks so much for your story. You're welcome. I relate to a bunch in there. One of the things was anger and then relationships and just ended a relationship. We did it very mutually. We really love each other. We saw it. We ran into each other the other night and hugged and we're both kind of like, oh, sad heartbreak because, you know, you just feel that love. But we talked yeah. about how we're both doing better, not together, because we both have depression. When you're with someone, it just seems like one or the other of you is down. It's almost like tag team depression because being together shouldn't bring you both down. And depression, when you both have depression, and if your ex-wife has alcoholism, that's, that's totally related to depression. And I don't know if she has clinical depression or not, but those downs... You just cycle. It's just like with the the anger and the sleep and the insomnia and all that stuff kind of cycling together in a vicious cycle. I feel like in a relationship, that can be a vicious cycle. No matter how nice so many parts of it are, if the overall effect is that neither of you is doing well and together it's it's you can't be available for each other. It just doesn't work. So I, well, I really related to that. Yeah. The last two years that we were together was when she had told me that she was having a problem and to help her. I had had kind of a, a spiritual experience and I grew up Jewish and I had had kind of some spiritual revelations And I was leaning towards Christianity. That freaked her out because she was raised Catholic. And she thought I was going off the deep end. I had just never read the New Testament before. And there's so much in there that is about love. So much about love versus the Old Testament that I grew up on. Punishment and pain. And I was thinking of Job the other day when you were telling me all the stuff that went on with you. Yeah, Yeah, I felt like Job. And for a long time now. And and I don't blame God and I'm not mad at God. I'm not like, why me? You know, why not me? Who am I? I'm nobody special to not take part in life's foibles and tribulations. It didn't matter how much love I poured into her and how much I was there for her and how much I encouraged her and supported her. I think that in her mind, she had divorced me years prior. And it, and it didn't matter what I did at that point. She she was done. And, and I think that we had four children in six and a half years. Even though she chose to be a stay-at-home mom because we thought that was best and that I would work and I worked hard and long hours and was not home as much as I really needed to be. I think she resented that and I think it broke her in some way. And that's why she looked for a solution that gave her relief. And the years of me not choosing her during that just created such a chasm between us that even though I did start to and did for a couple of years, it wasn't enough. 
because it, it came to a point where I was hearing from unrelated people that didn't know each other that she was talking about leaving. So what I did the third time I heard that, I actually, relief came over me. It was like, okay, I know what I need to do. And I went home and the next day I told her that I wanted her to leave, that I wanted her to leave for 90 days. Don't worry about the kids. Don't worry about lunches, homework, taking them to school, picking them up, do anything. Just go to meetings, take care of yourself, do what you need to do to get better. And she got all mad and indignant and said, okay, well, when I come back, are you going to leave for 90 days and work on yourself? And I'm like, the audacity you have at maybe 90 days sober and I have 25 years sober because she was reading the book mm -hmm. and what she was seeing was everything I wasn't doing mm -hmm. instead of seeing her and she moved in with her cousin who had been divorced five times who knew everything about divorce but nothing about a healthy relationship so of course she comes back to me at like day 91 day 92 and says I want a divorce and that devastated me. Yeah. That just broke me. I'm 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 still broken by it, even though I love my girlfriend and heartbroken by that I allowed myself to love again. And it took me a couple of years of being with this woman and keeping her like right about here. And now she's gonna die. Yeah. And so I feel done. Like I don't feel like like I'm going to have another partner. Um I feel done with that part of my life. I feel done with Tucson. I feel like I need to get my kids into college or into the service. And then I'm going to go home. I was born, raised in Ohio. That's where I moved from to come here back in 93. It's like I have lifelong friends there. And once I get my kids into college and they're set, I want to go home and be with my friends because they're my family. I mean, I have, I have like friends since I was like in middle school. So you're just ready for a change. I left Ohio because it rained there every weekend and I loved to ride my motorcycle. So I would dig and drive in, in January, like yesterday, what, it was 80, know. you know? And if I had still a motorcycle, I'd be in a t-shirt out riding. And I'd call my friends back and say, yeah, it's 26 there, isn't it? It's like, I'm riding my motorcycle in a t-shirt. But writing's not what's important to me anymore. Neither was being in a band. What's important now? My kids. It's like the only thing. My divorce devastated me. I mean, devastated me. I sat on my back porch. I would drive my kids over to her house. I would drop them off. In the beginning, I couldn't get to the end of the street without being in tears. It, it still hurts. I don't know if that's a pain that I'll ever get over, but it, it broke it broke me in, in a way that I don't know if I'll ever get over it. I, I read this book and it's called Getting Past What You'll Never Get Over. I, I read about half of it. I got his point. And her and I are, we have to talk about certain things now. It's not just about just the kids and, you know, who's going to spend the night where and, or I'm really hurting. Can you keep them for an extra day or two or whatever? It's my 17-year-old is getting financial offers at colleges. We were on the phone the other day talking for like an hour. It was like old times. It's like I want to get off the phone because I don't want to have those feelings for her. Because like when I got off the phone, I wanted to text her that I loved her. And that would have been so inappropriate. So I didn't do it because I thought it was forever. 
because I took vows that said forever. And I thought we could work out anything. And for her to walk away, and I was sick because the week that I asked her to leave was the week I was diagnosed with Crohn's. Mm. That didn't even bring her back. Sometimes life just falls apart, and it seems like every part of your life falls apart. I don't know why. You know, I, I got sober when I was 21, and it was like, wow, I'm clean and sober. That's amazing. And there was that joy for a minute, and then reality sunk in. Life just got hard all over again. But it says in the literature, be quick to see where outside resources are helpful. On that note, this is a perfect place to end the show. Okay. Thanks so much for being on the Depression Session. Thank you for having me, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.